I have had the privilege in my life of climbing some pretty iconic stairs. I know that may seem strange to you that I would consider that a privilege to climb stairs. But I've had a dip ability to climb some of these iconic steps. We were, Jackie and I, my wife, we were in Rome not too long ago, and we were able to climb some very iconic steps, and I'll try to say it correctly, the uh, Piazza di Spagna. And uh, they're the Spanish steps. And there are about 135 of them, and they were very iconic. You know, you've probably seen movies that these stairs have been in. You just didn't realize it. The thing is, it was like 100 degrees outside, and about, about 90-some percent humidity. So we enjoyed those steps for about 30 seconds, and then we found some shade and looked at them from afar. <laughs> but some iconic steps. Now, we're in Oregon, so some of you probably climbed some you know, important steps. Like, for instance, here in Oregon, on the coast, we have this town called Astoria. Some of you have been there. There is a column there in Astoria, and there's a, a little column. You can, you can walk some stairs, about 160 steps to get to the top. Now, who in this room has, has done that, okay? Some of you online have probably, probably done that if you're here in Oregon. That's pretty iconic. You know, that's kind of fun and nice. I've, I've been privileged to go walk on the, the Capitol Mall there in Washington, D.C. Those are some iconic steps, you know, going up to Congress and that sort of thing. Yeah, some cool things. But probably, probably my favorite steps that I've ever been on kind of happened by accident. My family and I, we about four years ago, went to Washington, D.C., and uh, we decided to kind of extend our trip. We, we did the whole Capitol Mall thing and all the museums, and that's great. But we thought we'd go to this little town nearby called Georgetown. There's a little university there that's kind of important. And we were exploring Georgetown. And at one point, we found kind of in a weird, off-the-beaten-pathway, these creepy, narrow, uh, very, very tall stairs. They went up like four or five stories, no handrails. They were super creepy, and we're like, oh, this is weird. So we, we climbed those steps. You know, we didn't know where they were going, but it was only later that I realized that those are also famous steps. They were in this movie that was really freaky called The Exorcist, right? You don't have to raise a hand if you saw that. If you, maybe you, you don't want to you put that out of your mind that you saw that movie. But in the movie, there are these creepy stairs. They're actually in Georgetown, and now they call them The Exorcist Stairs. Found them completely by accident. But look. We all have had experience with steps, haven't we? We've all had experience with stairs. In fact, some of us avoid the stairs at all costs. If there's an escalator or an elevator, better yet, we're choosing that over taking steps. But the crazy thing is, some of you pay for the privilege of taking steps. Because you pay that gym membership, and then I see people climbing steps. You're paying to climb those steps. Steps are, are important. You know, usually, steps take us where? Up. Yeah. Steps take us up. And that's, a, that's an important thing. And we, we've been using steps, right, as a metaphor uh, for this series that we're in. And we've called this series Next Steps. We started it last week, and we talked about some early next steps that many of us take in our journey of faith, of following Jesus. And so we're talking about next steps, and, and again, oftentimes, when you think about the metaphor of steps, they take us up. More than that, they take us somewhere. And when Jesus called his early disciples, we talked about this last week, if you weren't here, he called his early disciples. He didn't tell them, when he called them, to grab this book, 
and find a seat and sit down. When he called his disciples, he used two words. Does anybody remember what the two words were? Follow me. That implies activity. That implies moving forward. That implies moving up. And so this is a great metaphor to talk about our spiritual journey, our spiritual journey of discipleship, growing closer to Jesus, because as we're following Jesus, we're learning his way. In fact, if some of you, you may not know this, but the early Christians, the early church, weren't called Christians right away. They were called followers of the way, because they were following literally the ways of Jesus. And so we are in this series learning what those next steps are, next steps of maturity, of, 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 of growing closer to Jesus. They're essential for us to move forward. Nobody wants to be stagnant in our faith. We don't, be, we don't want to be spinning our wheels all the time. We want to be moving closer, moving into, into that space where we're more like Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And it's, if you think about it, every time that you're new to something, like even someone new to our church, they're brand new. They come to the parking lot. They're not sure what to expect. And we want to take that person from brand new, not even sure what's going on, to not only discovering Jesus, but taking steps into a church family where they can grow and be loved on. And then one day, the hope is they could take someone else who shows up to the parking lot and not sure what's going on. And they can take some, we call that disciples who make disciples. And it all involves what? Next steps. So that's what we're talking about today, and we want to be fully devoted to Jesus. That's our aim, right? And so the hope is we're going to get some clarity around not only early next steps, like we talked about last week, but next steps for all of us along the journey, because every one of us has a next step. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, or whether you've never decided to follow Jesus, you always have a next step. So our, our message today is going to be about some important next steps that involve relationships and being known. In fact, that's our title today, is simply the idea of being known. It's super important in our journey of faith. My name's Pastor Ben. Glad you're here with us, whether it's in person or it's online. Welcome. It's wonderful to be able to have this as a beginning point in our week. Christians everywhere, all across the world, are meeting right now today, or did meet sometime today, depending on the time zone. We celebrate our gatherings like this every Sunday because this is the day that Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead and changed human history forever. And so we meet and we remember and we worship him and bring him glory because he did it all for us. He paid for our sins on the cross, past, present, and future, but he rose again and gave us hope and freedom. And so we gather every weekend. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're here with us or, or in person or online to celebrate this special day. I'm going to pray here and then we're going to get going. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We recognize that you're in charge and we're not. Thank you so much, Father, that you love us right where we're at, but you also love us so much that you want to see us taking important next steps in our journey of faith and in following your son, Jesus. Father, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Challenge and convict us today so that we would know what our next step is that you're calling us to take. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible or device, start finding Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're going to read a passage that some of you may know, but I think it's a pretty good ground zero for what we're talking about today on the idea of becoming known. That is the idea of relationships. And the scriptures, look, the scriptures are very clear on, on, on several subjects, but one of them is when it comes to faith, 
when it comes to being the people of God, we are in community. And, and whether you look at the Old Testament where it follows the family line, literally the family line of Abraham, or you're looking at the New Testament, faith has always involved other people. And there's a reason for that. You know, like we talk about becoming more like Jesus, being patient and kind and loving. You can't do that on your own. You know, you can't develop you know, your spiritual muscles of patience unless you have someone in your life that's trying your patience. This is how it works. The people of God, both Old Testament and New Testament, it's a family affair. And so we're talking about this. Now, if you've never seen this passage, this is pretty, pretty key here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, written by a man named Solomon. He was a king, very wise guy, literally a very wise guy. And this is something that he wrote, and it's just given us a practical uh, kind of instructions here of what it means to be known and be in relationship. Listen to this, starting with verse number 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him. We'll put a pause in this real quick. I'm going to pause here. Jackie and I have really gotten into this show that's on the History Channel called Alone. Anybody ever heard of this show, Alone? A few of you have? Okay. So Alone, uh, I think it's in its seventh season. I realize I'm going to nerd out for a minute, but just give me a break here. So this show is uh, basically you take ten people that are trained in survival. This isn't Survivor. This is like literally surviving. Like it's a game of beating starvation. So these folks are dropped some remote place and they're literally alone. They're five to ten miles from any other person. So there's ten people, but they don't get to hang out together. They are on their own to try to find food, try to scavenge for things, try to do whatever they can to survive, basically, literally. Now, it's only for professionals. You, didn't, you shouldn't do this on your own. Don't go wandering out in the wilderness and, and trying to think you can do this. But it's interesting when you watch the show. The thing that usually takes most people out, now they can tap out. They have a radio. They can tap out. Say, I'm done. And they have to use this phrase, I am officially tapping out. That's the phrase they got to use. What's interesting is you'd think if they had enough food and if they had shelter and if they had safety and if they had warmth, they would make it. You know what takes them out? See if you can guess. They're alone. There's nobody around. So half the time, it's funny, you see these people that are, that, that are excellent survivor. They, they've got like an amazing shelter and they've got everything they need. They've got fish stored up and they tap out. Now there's some that tap out because they have an injury. Okay, I get that. Some that tap out because they can't find enough food. Okay, we get that. But for the most part, people tap out because they're alone. We know this to be true, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, relationships are important. And Solomon here is trying to help us understand on a very practical level, you need people in your life, especially when it comes down to growing in your faith. Listen to how, now I'll unpause and we'll get back to scripture. Okay. Verse 11, let's pick it up there. If you've still got your Bible ready. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So there's some practical wisdom to being in relationship. And that's especially true in the church family and in our journey of faith. 
We got to have people. I got to tell you, I would not even be in ministry if it hadn't been for people in my life, small groups that I've been part of. It is so important to your journey of faith. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus called people to do what again? Come on, follow me. Remember, we talked about that last week. And they would follow him. Can you just imagine for a second how many hours and hours and hours they just simply walked behind him? Walked with him? Just consider the hours of walking. You know, I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I've done all the prep work for ministry that you're supposed to do. But I tell you what, I might give all that up if I could have spent two or three years walking around with Jesus. Think of all the meals. Think of all the journeys through the marketplace and the, 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 the fields. You know, there, we get glimpses in the, in the New Testament. We get glimpses. You know, sometimes you got that where the disciples are in the middle of a wheat field, apparently, and they're hungry and they start you know, grabbing a, 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 a thing of wheat and they're, they're, they're you know, doing this with it and they're eating it. These little moments with Jesus, a lot of walking around, talking, having meals. There's a sense of following Jesus that is always in community. It's always in relationship. And that doesn't mean that we're always in a Bible study. Sometimes in the church world, I feel like we've kind of got this a little backwards, where we kind of forget what Jesus did. A major thing that Jesus did in his his ministry was eating with people. We don't find an agenda. It's not like he said, okay, now disciples, uh, we're going to be meeting with these people. We're going to have a dinner. We're going to cover these 10 theological points, and then we're going to pray. He, we don't get any of that. His, his ministry was like he would eat with people. We, we complicate it, don't we? We do this all the time. We don't have anything unless it's a, it's a program or it's a, a special group. and We can only have fellowship if it's on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Meals, walking around taking a hike. These are ministry moments that build connection. Jesus wasn't afraid to do that with people. Relationship. When we decide to follow Jesus, we are part of a community. We're part of a family. We're part of the children of God. We're part of a new tribe, a new kingdom. We're citizens of a different nation. And so we are in community. Once we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to being in a community of faith. In fact, the, 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 the scriptures use the term church. And I realize today in our world, the term church has come to represent a what? A building, which is crazy. I mean, I understand that people say, well, let's go to the church. I'm always trying to add the term building on it. Because church really meant the called out ones. Those who were living differently than the culture that they were in that they were loving and kind. Do you know that part of the reason that the ancient Roman world stopped going to gladiator games and stopped infanticide, that is, leaving infants to die on their porch, you know why those two things slowly died out? See if you can guess. The early church. That was common practice in Rome for hundreds of years, and it slowly died out, strangely, with these Christ-follower people who would save children on porches and they would stop going to gladiator games because of their brutality and, and worship of violence. 
Isn't that amazing? Do you find that amazing? In fact, it became on the radar for Roman historians. Like, it literally stopped happening, not because of their picket signs, but because of their action of love. They were a community of faith living differently, and that's what the church is. But the church is not only people who live differently, it's people who are living together, hanging out together, encouraging one another. In fact, there's a couple chapters that I want you to read this week. This is homework, all right? It's not going to take you very long, okay? I'm not the cruel homework giver outer today. But if you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you don't, please grab one today. There's some around. We'll figure out that. But grab a Bible or device, and, and, and I want you to look at three chapters, just three. And we're going we're to talk about one of them here. But 1 Corinthians is a letter to the Corinth church, all right? Paul, who was an early leader, wrote this letter to his friends in Corinth. They were having lots of issues, uh, issues we don't really have time to unpack right now. Some of them were a little risque. They were having issues, okay? In fact, we don't even, there was three letters written to the church in Corinth. We only have two. So I, I, I kind of wonder what that third letter was all about, because Paul was one of those leaders in the early church that didn't seem to pull punches. Like, if he was upset about something, you knew it. But 1 Corinthians, a great letter. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, this section talks about spiritual gifts, but it also talks about just what it means to work together. And that having, having a show deference to each other when we're in worship and what happens when outsiders come into our worship gatherings. It's, it's a great three-chapter trio that I want you to spend some time on this week. Just mark that down. Hey, homework for Pastor Ben. I'm going to read these three. Now look, one of the chapters is a bonus, okay? Because one of the, cha- the, the chapter in the middle, you got 1 Corinthians 12, then you got 1 Corinthians 14, but 1 Corinthians 13 is your bonus, because really that's the pinnacle of what it means to be in a church community, because 1 Corinthians 13 is, as some would call, the love chapter. Back in the day, we had this show called The Love Boat, but this chapter's way better. It's The Love Chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, you probably heard part of the love chapter. I did a wedding ceremony yesterday, and we used some of the love chapter. That's a bonus for you. Spend some time this week, but I'm just going to get you into 1 Corinthians 12, because as the church community grew, they needed to learn how to operate together. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it starts to call the church, the called out ones, this new community of faith, these followers of Jesus that were getting together all over the ancient Roman world. Paul said, you're the body of Christ. And, and, and a body has lots of different parts and, and different skills and resources, and, and we all need to work together because the body has to, if it's going to be healthy, all the parts have to work together. The eyes have to help, the hands have to help. And so he was saying the church, in essence, is this body of Christ that actually we do ministry out together and, and in the world, and we're like the, the, the ambassador of Jesus to community, and we all have our part to play. And so church, in essence, is a a community, but it's a body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, you get a lot about that. Let's let's lean into a few verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, using our gifts to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 4. Here we go. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Probably the biggest phrase was that last one right there. So as you read that this week, just be thinking about 
what your part, your role is in the body of Christ is and, and how we are better together. That's how it works. Being a Christ follower means you're walking in community with Jesus, Jesus and with others. And we are in this together. And so consider that. But we all have gifts and resources and talents. In fact, we even have spiritual gifts. Did you know that when you decide to follow Jesus, you say, I'm all in, you repent of your sin, you're baptized into Christ, you start walking the way of Jesus. Look, when you decide to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you, and you have spiritual gifts. Now, everyone is going to have, have, have gifting a little differently, and you might have different giftings for different times, crazy enough. But those gifts are meant for the common good. They're meant to build up the body, not divide us. They're meant to enhance and help us grow spiritually and be strong. And so those gifts are given. So I encourage you to read those three chapters. You're welcome. Chapter 13 is a bonus. But they're all for the common good. Look, following Jesus is a team sport, in other words. Following Jesus has and always been. It's a team sport. We're part of a family. That means I care when you're struggling, and I want to pray for you and help you, and I hope you would do the same for me. We're supposed to be helping each other. It's a community of faith. It's a team sport. Look, if you want any other proof, Jesus made it super clear. In John 13, you know these verses, 34 and 35. You've heard these before. Jesus commands us to love one another. Love one another. In fact, he said, when you do that, people will know that you're on my team. When you love one another, people will know that you're one of mine. Not because of the bumper sticker you have on your car, or the t-shirt that you wear, or even if you have a Bible on your desk at work. People will know you're mine. Why? Because of love and how you love one another. This following Jesus thing is a very active thing, and it's a love one another sort of faith. You know that there are almost 60 times in the New Testament, 60, count them, 60 times in the New Testament where we get this little phrase, one another. We call them the one another's, the one another statements. There are almost 60 of them, and they're like this. Love one another. Like Jesus said, serve one another. Put another's needs above your own. Don't look down on one another. Treat each other with respect. There's all kinds of one another's in Scripture because Jesus knew as His followers were learning his way that there was always a, a team effort. This is a family. We're doing this together and we're commanded to love one another. So the question is for us today. How are you doing on relationships? How are you doing with those one another's? And the bigger question for all of us is are you walking in community with other Christ followers? Now I realize this is a challenge right now, okay? We know this to be true. We're in unprecedented times. I know we've all said that word way too many times in the last four or five months. It is unprecedented. We're in a pandemic, so it's harder for us to meet together. We're trying to do our best, right? But even so, we are called to walk in community. And that could just mean instead of a small group, maybe we talk about micro groups. Maybe once, twice, maybe every week, you get together with some other Christ followers and just have a meal. Or you have a smaller group in your home. We can do this because we need other people. Look, we've been talking about a lot of health stuff the last four or five months, haven't we? It's all been about physical health and watch out for this. But what about mental health? What about addiction? What about depression? These are things that require community. They require other people in your life. And so 
I just maybe am going to be one of those advocates that we also need to consider those other areas of who we are. Mental, spiritual. All of those things are important to us. So I encourage you to make it a point to be with other Christ followers, even if it's just a few. And you just call it a micro group or whatever. And you just have a meal together. And, and you, when you get together, you say, we're doing this like Jesus did. We're having a meal together. The power of relationship. You know, you don't have to look very far. You could Google it, and within seconds, you have probably a million articles on the science of relationships. And I just want to read you a couple of them that I saw recently during all this pandemic stuff that I thought were helpful. This came from Psychology Today. Listen to this. Fundamentally, it doesn't matter how technologically sophisticated we become. Emotional connectivity remains a core part of being human. We need each other. I just came out a couple months ago. And then this one happened, I think, last week. Uh, this is from the Huffington Post. Listen to this. Relationships oftentimes are the glue that holds us together during times of stressful situations. We are going through stressful situations, and we need people. You know this to be true. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, you need people. Introverts, you don't need 100 people. You need a few people. And it's still so important relationships matter. And so here, when you think about this, look around this room. If you're online, look around your home. I don't know. But look around you. And here's the question that you need to ask yourself. Who really knows you? Who knows you? You don't need 100 people, but you need a few. Who do you know in your life that knows all the junk about you and still loves you? This is what we're talking about. You don't need to... Have a hundred people. Like I said, you need a few people. Do they know you? Are you known? Because in that, we help each other grow in faith. I love how when we get together, there's just a natural sense of accountability, encouragement, uh, just the fact that there's someone else trying to follow Jesus in this weird world with me. There's just something that happens in that camaraderie. And the question is, are you known? Because relationships are so important to us growing spiritually. In fact, I can think of no spiritual giant that I've ever read about or know about that didn't have relationships in their life. Every one of them did, that I know of. That's how we grow spiritually. It's a big part of it. We become known through relationships. So as a church family, that's a big part of our next steps, is that once you take those initial steps, then you start becoming known by being part of a team, volunteering, serving somewhere, being in some kind of small group or micro group. I just coined that phrase today. You're welcome. Micro group. I'm going to trademark that. There you go. Whatever it might be, but we're in relationship, serving together, eating together. We thrive that way. Look, when people are brand new, think about this. I know some of you have been maybe part of the church family for a long time, or you've been part of churches for a long time. You may, it may be harder for you to remember the first time you came to either this church or another church. It's a little scary. You don't know what you're going to find out. And you know what happens is, when someone's coming in for the first time, you don't have a whole list of theological questions. Uh, most of the time you don't. Uh, doctrinal questions, all these like Bible stuff. You know what people usually want to know when they get to a church family? Is there someone who cares about me? Great. C can I find a friend here? Is this a church family that can be encouraging? Can they help? Can they be my support group? See, people want to become known before they even are ready to believe sometimes. Jesus understood that. That's why he spent so much time walking around telling people, come follow me. Let's have a meal together. 
Because we want to be known. It's so important. And that's true in, the, in the, the development of our relationships with Jesus. We need people to help us move forward, to keep us accountable, all that. And you know, people want to know when they come to a church family, can I make a difference here? Is this somewhere I can plug in and do some good? These are important. Relationships become important. So there's two big next steps. And these are huge for us. And sometimes they take time. But we talked about early next steps last week. Here's a few more that carry you further. And that is serving with other people on some kind of volunteer team or some kind of ministry team here in our church family, serving the community, and some kind of small group. Even if that's just having a meal with one other couple or one other, one other family once or twice or whatever a month. You're getting together to encourage one another. These are two crucial next steps. I realize that we're at a time now where people are looking at this kind of faith as a do-it-yourselfer thing. But I can just tell you there's a limit. You need other people to carry you forward. That's why Jesus called people to follow him in a, in a community. You need people. So consider those two big next steps. Joining a team or a small group here in our church family and really using your gifts to love one another. It's super, super important. Volunteering, helping, using your gifts. This is the body of Christ. We help each other. So here's the question. We're asking this every week, right? No matter where you're at in the spiritual journey, no matter how long you've been part of a church or if this is your first time, you have a next step to take. And the question is, what is your next step? And, and we, we learned that prayer last week. Lord, what is my next step? I want you to pray that again this week. Lord, what is my next step? And maybe for some of you, it's taking those early steps. But for some of you, it's like, yeah, I do need to find a, a group of people. I need, to, I need to meet with people, have, have dinner with them, or whatever that might be. Maybe your next step is leading. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But you all have a next step, just like I have a next step. Ask that, Lord, what is my next step? Imagine a church family that is moving forward. We're not stagnant anymore. We're moving forward because we're following Jesus. And when one of us falls... Someone else picks them up and says, let's keep going. This is the power of relationships when it comes to faith and in following Jesus in our church family. Let's, each of us, refuse mediocrity in our faith. Refuse to just be stagnant. Let's move forward, and a big part of that is relationships. Becoming known. He calls us all to take a next step. I'm going to pray here in a minute, but let me just say this. If, if again, you're someone here today or you're someone online that has never taken that initial step of following Jesus and making him Lord and Savior, you could do that today. It's very simple. It starts with faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he took care of your sins, past, present, and future. And in fact, speaking of sins, the next step and part of that is, is repenting, saying, Lord, I've made lots of mistakes. I'm tired of going my way. I'm going to repent and go your way. We call that a pretty key, important component of that, repenting of your sin. And then we, we confess our sin, that is make it public before God and before our family, that we need a Savior. We're baptized into Christ, which is buried into his death and brought out of that water into new life. And we begin walking with Jesus, that is following Jesus in community. That is something you can do. If that's your decision today, we'd love to hear about that. But for the rest of us, we have next steps. And what is our next step? What is your next step? Pray about that this week. Speaking of prayer, let's do that now. Father, we end this time. We thank you that you're always calling us to a next step. You're always calling us to move forward. And so, Father, help us to, to hear you this week, that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to every heart about our next step. What is it you're calling us to? 
Father, help us all to reject just being in mediocre faith, but really, really pursuing depth in our walk with you and with other people. So, Father, strengthen the church family, strengthen each of us as we all take our next step. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.